Imagine you're second in charge within your company and you've been there for a long time and then you resign and you're planning what you're going to do in your career next. Then the CEO, your boss, he resigns and you get asked just to stay a little bit longer until they hire a new CEO. Then COVID happens and everyone looks at you, the new CEO, and asks you to navigate this storm over the coming months and probably years. So what are you going to do now? Well, that's the situation that happened to the guest we have on the podcast today, Bettina McMahon. And it didn't just happen in a private organisation, but at the Australian Digital Health Agency, a government agency that's tasked with the oversight of everything related to digital health within the country. In this conversation with Bettina, we cover her time at the ADHA, the future of digital health in Australia, as well as the achievements of women in leadership roles within digital health and many more things. All right, Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. Bettina McMahon is the chair of the Australian Institute of Digital Health, Australia's leading professional organisation in health informatics and digital health. She's held senior leadership positions, including CEO and executive positions in national digital health organisations, the Australian Digital Health Agency and National eHealth Transition Authority. Bettina holds postgraduate qualifications in public policy, applied finance, business and IT. Hey, Bettina, how are you going? Great. Great to be speaking to you, Peter. Hey, thank you. And guess what? We're at episode 100 now. So you're in the special 100 club, joining us with the brand new funky intro and everything like that. So thanks so much for making it a special episode. Well, congratulations. And I'm delighted to be part of the Centurion Club. (laughs) All righty, let's make it happen. So it'd be good for you to set the scene first. Tell us a little bit about yourself for those that don't know Bettina. Who's Bettina McMahon? I started working in technology and government in the late 90s when I began my career after uni. Quite unintentionally, my initial degree, my undergrad degree was arts and education, had nothing to do with technology, but I was interested in reform. And so I think for many people in the public sector or for purpose sector, you find that for reform, it's integrated with technology really over the last 20 years. So I worked over the last two decades in a variety of government agencies at state government and federal level on big IT programs that were driving reform and naturally found myself in the health sector because there's so much opportunity for improvement there and a real thirst for the use of, of digital and, and data. So I was working, as you mentioned, at NETA from 2009 and through to the Australian Digital Health Agency. Yeah. And so you came through to the ADHA and you were in the COO role for close to 10 years, weren't you? Yeah, in, in NETA, I began as the head of policy and and then privacy moved into my area within a few months. And then from the head of policy and privacy into executive roles, running operational services like the HI service, terminology services, then into risk management. And then when we transitioned from NETA to the ADHA, I stepped into the coup role and had responsibility for industry engagement, um, government and, and a bunch of other things over time. Tell us about that whole 2020 for you, really. You were on your way out of the ADHA looking to do new things and then you became the interim CEO of the ADHA and take us through that whole process and story and then what happened there. Yeah, your description at the beginning of the podcast was interesting, Peter. It really brought it all back that um, that I, I'd made a decision after being in that organization for 10 years that it was time for a change. I was ready to do something different in a different place. And I also think it's healthy for leaders to move on and and to allow fresh leadership and views to come in. I think that's a good thing. And, um, and I wanted that as well, for the organization as well as for me. 
And so it was a bit unexpected, Tim Kelsey's departure at that time for me. I thought it would be a little later than that. And and so I agreed to, the board requested I stay on for a few months. I said, maybe till March or April until we recruit. And I'd made it clear that I wouldn't be putting my hand up for that position. I, I was still looking for something a little different. So, of course, you're quite right. I think for many, or probably everyone listening to this podcast, um, all sorts of plans they might have made for 2020 changed and um, professional and personal. So, for me, there were some big challenges ahead. I, I mean, there was the usual challenge that everyone is familiar with and you've had a number of really distinguished guests on your program talking about the changes within their organisations and how they supported their staff. So, we had those challenges as well. But separate to that, the Australian Digital Health Agency had a really important role in providing providing community confidence in digital health services so that people felt comfortable um, with things like telehealth or electronic prescriptions or receiving healthcare services in different ways that were powered by digital means and also to, to coordinating different efforts around quality, safety and also efficiency. So, so there was a change in the sorts of things we were doing too and so that was a big challenge for us to make sure that we were putting our resources into the right things that the country needed of us at the time. Yeah, no, that was obviously a really critical component to everything, having that the way that technology is involved within healthcare and having the agency kind of overseeing that and providing the comms around it. What are some of those other challenges that were faced during that and making that happen? And how was that messaging received from the ADHA with the broader community within Australia? It's always easy in hindsight to look back at things and to organise them so it's all orderly. But I think one of the biggest challenges, Peter, was just at the time, particularly around April and May, when a lot of the planning went into things, was just the unknown of just people in the health sector who we were working with having completely no idea about how this would play out using the lessons from overseas as, as an indicator of what could happen. And so our state and territory counterparts were very much planning for, for big scale impact on the health sector because there was some modelling that showed a lot of people would be getting COVID. And so they were preparing for all of that and the logistics of it while we were looking at what we could do to back in the digital tools to support them for that load. As it turned out, we were very lucky that the other measures put in place by the government and others actually stopped that first wave from being as big as it could have been. And so the challenge quickly shifted then to actually getting people back into getting their regular health services so they didn't put off cancer um, screening, they didn't put off all of those preventative health things which people had been putting on hold and really the messaging had been if you're at risk stay at home um, so it was then trying to pivot so that was the, the biggest challenge at the time was just that it wasn't chaotic exactly but it was volatile and dealing with that volatility with a fairly large organization of over 400 staff all looking for direction and having to to change those directions along with um, the changing needs of the community. I tell you what, 2020 is going to be the year that obviously hindsight just is, there was no even foresight or anything of what's going on. It's day by day in 2020. So hindsight's yeah. easy to look back at and say how it could have gone. Yeah. But no, that's a good outline you've provided. And so since then, you've changed up the letters in the acronym. You've gone from the ADHA to the AIDH or Australian Institute of Digital Health. For those that are not familiar with AIDH, who's that and, and what's that for? The AIDH, the Australasian Institute for Digital Health, is the peak body for digital health leaders and informaticians. So it's really about connecting people who are passionate about digital health. We have extremely high profile members who are internationally known through to people who are just getting interested in digital health. So it brings those people together into a community. And what we try to do is to enhance the digital professionalism in the health sector in Australia to raise the maturity um, of the use of digital and data and people's confidence using digital and data in health and really also progressing the digital health agenda in the region. 
And so your role is chair for the AIDH? That's right. I um, became chair in late 2020 when the inaugural chair of the Institute, Mike Walsh, stepped aside. So he had been chair of the board uh, through the merger of the two previous peak institutions back in early 2020 and through really the pandemic and some major changes. So so I've stepped in. There was an election, so some fresh board members came in and we're working really on the strategic direction for the Institute in 2021 at the moment. Looking forward, for, or just looking backwards then as well, thinking about COVID-19, from your perspective, what has been Australia's edge in managing the pandemic, do you think? Apart from the general policy things like the ability of Australia to close its borders and to have a hard quarantine system for people coming in, in terms of managing within the system itself, the effort that's been put in over the last 10 to 20 years by people in this field on improving the use of data in health tech. So Australia was the first country in the world to put COVID-19 into SNOMED, which is the National Terminology Service. So the ADHA runs that service and we put that in the initial code in January before it had been formally coded. That went into SNOMED in the January release and then in the February release we put COVID-19. And what that meant was that all of those health systems around the country, whether they be the public health systems or the private clinics, consume that code. So they were able to code that data early on. Now, this probably for the, the layman doesn't sound like a really big deal, but when right from the beginning, you're getting the right structured data in, it then makes reporting consistent and easier. It's not 100%, but it was a really big step forward for Australia compared to other countries. So that's one example, having national identifiers for individuals like IHIs and for health professionals, having specifications already for digital prescriptions, having all of this groundwork done so that we were able to interact operate better, I think, than many other countries in the world, probably every other country, I think put us in a really strong position to have the data available to policymakers and decision makers so that they could base their decisions on the evidence at the time. Mm. Now, it's been a great opportunity to you know, really flex the digital health muscle within Australia and demonstrate what we can do. And I think that, like you say, we've done a lot of those things successfully through what was obviously a remarkably challenging time and continues to be. And so thinking about digital health more generally than in Australia, moving forward particularly, I'm thinking firstly about people in digital health, particularly women in digital health. And like you say, we were featured on this podcast, a lot of women that are in leadership positions and working within digital health, health tech and doing amazing things. What's your perspective on the state of women's involvement and leadership positions in digital health, particularly in Australia? Working in the public sector, I've had the privilege of working across many different sectors. So I've worked in the environmental field, transport and logistics, aviation, counterterrorism and policing and, and financial services. And I've got to say, out of all of those, and probably the reason I've stayed in the health sector the longest is because of the opportunities for women and the number of women mm. that I've seen actually in decision-making roles compared to all of those other sectors. You know, if I just think back to my final years in the agency, the people I'd be dealing with in senior positions every day, there were probably more women than men. So Carolyn Edwards at the department and Penny Shakespeare were the two most senior people I was dealing with. Mary Foley at, at Telstra, Emma Hossack at the MSIA, so it's in industry as well. Now Amanda Catamol um, at the agency. So I was often, Deb Picone over at the Quality um, Safety and Quality Commission. So often the most senior people were women there. And it's not that being a woman in and of itself is important, but when there are women around, it's encouraging for other women 
as well to see that that's an opportunity for them. And it's a much more diverse conversation that you have. So I really feel that digital health, more than any of those other sectors I've worked in, is very much punching above its weight in having that pipeline of women coming through so that you've actually got women who are qualified and well positioned to be in those positions at the top. No, totally. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's great to see that progression within the industry. And thinking again, broadly with digital health and how it's progressed in the past, say 15 years, particularly within your career, you know, there's obviously COVID, that's what we've had in the past 12 months, but before then too, how do you think the Australian grown in digital health over the past 15 years, how that's changed? The answer is partly the reason why I decided it was time for me to leave the agency is, is very much 10 years ago when I started in 2009, it was about the underlying infrastructure. So it was about putting in place standard terminologies, identifiers, authentication schemes, all that stuff that everybody knows is really important who's in this sector, but it doesn't really affect the patient experience. So there's a really long time frame from doing all of that hard work to actually getting the impact for the health sector, for the professionals using systems and for patients. So finally, I think the biggest change that I saw over the last two years is finally that work was starting to impact on patient experience. If you look just last year in, in New South Wales, Zoran Bolovich and his team was able to stand up within two weeks an automated text message system to notify patients of their negative um, COVID results. They, they could stand that up in two weeks because of all the work they'd done on their laboratory information systems and digitizing them for their healthy net system. So all of that hard work over years has meant that they could really pivot quickly and put those things in place. So for me, the biggest change has been now bearing the fruits of all of that labor over many, many years where back in the day, it was very hard to see the benefit. And we were constantly asked, well, what's the point? What's the benefit of this? Which were much longer term. And we're now seeing that very much yeah. No, excellent. And then so moving forward, what would you say then the role is of the national and the state or territory health departments or the industry and the professional groups and everyone involved, all the different stakeholders within digital health? What role do they have in optimizing individual patient care to the highest quality? People who come into the health sector from other areas, one of the first observations often make to me is how frustrating they find it about how fragmented the system is. And I guess looking at it from the outside, you know, whether you've got public or private care, whether you've got community or tertiary, whether it's the funding, where it comes from. Um, so it, it can look fragmented in that way. But the quality I see of the Australian system is its diversity is that by having all of those different participants, you actually get a real richness in the choice and the fabric of the health system. So the role of each of those, I actually think is to innovate within their own area, is to look that if you're a private hospital, what can you do? What are your patients after in that experience and how can you innovate? So that's part one, is to really innovate and push the boundaries within your own area of patient experience and service delivery. But part two then is stepping back and looking to organisations like the Australasian Institute of Digital Health or Australian Digital Health Agency for what is the national direction as well. So a recognition that I as a private hospital or, or a GP clinic or a, um, a path lab am part of a, this bigger fabric and I do have a commitment and a responsibility to be using the national systems, whether they be coding systems or standards around interoperability. So, uh, so that's the second part. I think the role of each of them is to look at where there is a national coordinated effort, what their role can be in actually bringing that together so a patient can have a seamless experience when they move across that rich health sector. 
Yeah, no, excellent. Way back on the podcast, I forget when it was, and I should find that I will reference the episode in the show notes of this episode. I interviewed Louise back in the day when it was Heiser. Institute of Digital Health was Heiser. So Louise came on the show, CEO, and I think I asked a question, something like, you know, what does digital health look like in the future? And the answer was much more concise than this and, and well-worded, but it was that it's just health, it's not digital health. So from your perspective then, Bettina, sorry if I've just stolen your big punchline, but the... <laughs> What does digital health look like in, say, three years from now? And what is it like super long term, like 10 years from now? What does that look like in your opinion? Well, if we look at something like banking, and I know it's a bit tired because everyone's always talking about banking um, because they've done it well. I think they've moved from bricks and mortar, classic old school in the 80s banking through to something where most parts of their business are now are now digital. So it's still rich on relationships. So it's very much on the relationship the organization and the people in that organization have with their customers. But the digital tools supplement and augment that. So for me, looking at that as a crystal ball into the future, I think it's similar with health. I think it will always be about the relationships. And so anyone who is concerned that robots or something will be taking over healthcare, it's not. I, I don't see any evidence or desire that that would happen. But it is very much that the option to use digital to augment, to improve services for patients and for the people providing them will be part of it. So whether it's convenience for people, whether it is improvements in quality so that we can avoid some of the problems that we know are existing in the healthcare system today, whether it's making it more efficient so that we can make our resources stretch further. I think digital will be part of that. And I agree. I mean, Louise is an extremely accomplished, I mean, she's an amazing CEO of the Institute and very punchy in the way that she puts things much more than me as well, Peter. But she's right. I mean, at the agency last year, I mentioned earlier, our campaign, Don't Put Your Health on Hold, was really responding to the broader health sector's observation that people weren't accessing health services. It wasn't about digital. It was about people having confidence that they could get health services. And yes, it was through this method. So it was health first, and then it was through this method second, not the other way around. And just back to those the things that we're going to achieve in digital health in the future, what do you think is going to stop us from doing that? Is it the same kind of things that we complain about now about fragmentation and lack of interoperability or is it something else that we're going to fail on to not succeed on this? No, I don't think so. Oh, look, they're the things that, they're the annoying things that, you know, always seem to come up when we're the nitty gritty when we're trying to get stuff done. So often we put a lot of focus on that because it's the immediate problem. But, but actually, I think if you're looking longer term over the three to five year time horizon, that the real barriers really are around trust and our ability to build and maintain trust, both in consumers receiving health services through digital means and, and new means and the providers providing them. So we've come a long way. 2020 was great in helping people develop trust that healthcare services can be provided in different ways and having good experiences with that. So that's fantastic. So I think making sure that cyber is is well managed so that people don't have, you know, we don't have any big breaches that would erode trust because people are worried that their really sensitive information is being compromised. And also the quality, that they can get good quality services, that it's not some crummy second-rate version digital. If that's the case, then we're going to start to erode trust quickly and it'll be a very long time to build that back again. Yeah. And I think we're at that stage now too, where when we're looking at things kind of mid last year in 2020, as an industry, we're kind of like, well, we've got to make sure we get digital health right. Otherwise, it's just going to go back to the way it was after COVID finishes. Mm. And I mean, who knows how long that whole kind of thing reverberates for. But do you think we're past that point now? We've demonstrated, I mean, we've got stuff like Medicare, the telehealth here to stay, all that kind of stuff. Are we now well set to then have a new future for digital health? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any going back to where we were because people have 
experienced some of the benefits of digital health, whether they be just better workflow and efficiencies or more convenience. The quality, I think, has some way to go. And if you think back to even retail, you know, if you're ordering something online, I remember a few years ago when that chatbot would pop up, I'd just think, oh, get rid of that because they were hopeless. It was it was awful. It was so distracting. It never answered my questions. If I wanted to actually ask a question, I knew I had to talk to a human. But now the chatbots are actually probably better than the humans because they've actually improved over time. So I think for us, there won't be any going back, but it's like people are doing the online ordering and, and they're happy with that. But some of those richer services, I think, still have a bit to be improved. And organizations like DEBS, I mentioned earlier, Safety and Quality Commission, um, the Department of Health, state health departments, and, and, and even private are looking at well, how can we actually improve the quality as well so that people love the services that they get rather than thinking, look, it's good enough for now because I can't go and see someone as a second best. And so if I'm listening to the show and I'm keen to get more involved in digital health, perhaps I'm within the health industry or any industry for that matter, how do you get started within the digital health industry in 2021? It's not as hard as it seems. I think some people overcook it a bit and think, oh, look, I need to be a data analyst or I need to be actually working in something really technical. If anyone's actually working either in a frontline health role or working in part of the health tech sector, it's just getting your foot in the door and starting working and having a passion a passion for digital and data. So whether you're a physio who is really interested in your clinical information system and looking at some of the trends in that, whether it's somebody working in um, in a health tech vendor and thinking about, well, what are the practical problems and getting on with things? It's, it's not very highbrow. I think just getting in and getting started, that's how I started. I started doing a data entry job and, and it sort of turned into interest in IT systems because I saw there were improvements that could be made. So people with a thirst, with a curiosity for making improvements and an interest to to look at the data and what it's saying in their own organisations, I think that is the best start for anyone who's interested in getting into this field. And of course, joining the Australasian Institute for Digital Health, which will bring them together with other fantastic leaders in the region. Nice. No, definitely. I totally agree. Being a member of the AIDH is really important. I know that the organisations I've worked with in the past and still currently now are members and would recommend that to anyone as well that's wanting to be connected within the industry, particularly more broadly across the region now too. And so then thinking about the AIDH, lastly then for you guys and particularly for yourself in the chair role, what's going to be in the future? What's on the horizon for 2021 and beyond as part of the association? We see 2021 as a big opportunity to promote the professionalism of everybody who's working in digital health over the last 12 months in particular. There's been a big focus of the community and political decision makers on health workers, which has been fantastic, particularly frontline health workers. I think everyone's starting to understand, as you earlier said, there has been an edge for Australia. It's been something more than having fantastic nurses and doctors and people who respond and people in the path labs. They've been awesome, but there's been something more about our systems. And so very much promoting that there is a whole group of people with extremely high qualifications and skills who have been doing a fantastic job to back those people in um, is a great opportunity for us to make sure that there's recognition of people working in this sector. And the other part is to continue to build that professionalism. So we're looking at, you know, what are the focus areas for us? What does the country need of us, whether that's industry or whether it's governments? It's not just not just the public sector, but, but private as well. And how can we make sure that the professionals working in this area have the right skills and capabilities going forward. Amazing. Looking forward to seeing all the stuff happening with the AIDH over 2021 and beyond. And Bettina, look, thank you so much for joining and telling the story and the interesting kind of progression of how you've come to where you are now. We'll put some details for how to get in touch with the association and everything else that's happening with you guys in the show notes of this episode. Good luck for 2021. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Peter. And looking forward to hearing your next 100 podcasts. <laughs> me too, me too, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.